Hi, everybody. My name is Pat Hogarty, and welcome back to California Real Estate Finance, or just plain real estate finance. This happens to be show number three. Last week is when we first started uh, our classes. Uh, uh, the first show, we covered a lot of just the details of what was in the uh, course, or essentially the meat or the to uh, chap chapter topic material in each, uh, or the to materials in each chapter within the course. Uh, last week we talked about, or the last time we met show two was about the history of finance, so we talked quite a bit about that. And I want to mention to you again, uh, for those of you so that you know, please remember that there are numerous ways that you can watch this show. If you're watching right now and seeing me on TV talk, you're watching it live. We're uh, broadcasting uh, this show from the Learning Resource Center. You can also watch it on uh, both the Comcast and the SureWest uh, cable systems uh, live while you're doing it now. And we're also rebroadcast on the following weekend, so there's always a delay in case you happen to miss it when we do the live broadcast. A third way that you can watch it is that if you come to campus and you say, "I just," we had a lady, for example, that was supposed to be here for a biology class and had just missed it. And uh, it was very easy for her to go watch the show because we have, right after we finish the show, we have a videotape of it over here in room LR141 on the first floor of the business building that has all the previous show's tapes. And Bob Bickley makes that tape available about 10 to 15 minutes after we finish the broadcast. The last way that you can watch the show is that through Blackboard, which is the course ma uh, content management system that we utilize, there's a button in there that's called TV Shows, and you can watch the shows. And I also send out an email to everybody when the show is ready for you to watch. Uh, usually that takes a day or two after the original broadcast. And so what will happen is, is that I'll send out an email. I also put a posting up underneath announcements in Blackboard that the show is ready, so you can watch it that way. And for those of you that know, can just get to Sacramento City College and go to the Distance Education uh, webpage, just search for it. It's in the alphabetical order in the quick, list, uh, quick link menu. All of the broadcasts that we do here at the college are under a link called uh, Archives. So you can actually uh, watch the show that way. In fact, I think I'm going to take a minute and just diverse from there because I think this is really, really important. We have our uh, distance education coordinator who's really doing a super job uh, putting all of this information up. And I kind of wanted to show you this because this has given you access to other shows that we've done besides just this show. And so in order to find that, in case, uh, like, in case for whatever reason you want to look at another show that we may have, let me see if I can find uh, Microsoft Internet Explorer on here somewhere. If somebody sees it, point it out. Uh, let me see. Maybe it might be here. Okay, on this computer, it's right here. Go to the Sacramento City College main web page. I'm going to maximize the window because it's a little bit easier to see. I'm going to go ahead and use this drop-down menu. And again, this is this for those meaning that you can have access to it without going to Blackboard. If you just go to the Distance Education webpage, which is located, again, in alphabetical order down here. Let me see if I can find it. Distance Education. And just click the Go button. And there's a, there's a link over here called Interactive Television Shows or ITV Archives. And if you click here, you're going to see all of the archive shows. And we're te currently teaching, like uh, Truman Richard teaches accounting. Uh, biology is Andrea Greenwald. I'm teaching both three, uh, Real Estate 310, 320. And we're going to put Real Estate 300 up there. So, for example, if you want to see the show that we had been doing 
in uh, Real Estate 320, as an example, since you're in it, you go here, and here's the links to the show. We'll always put the link up. If it's dark in color, it means we haven't linked it yet. It's not up there. But if you click this particular link right here, you, which you'll be able to do, and as long as you have a high-speed connection, high-speed DSL cable modem, means without even going through Blackboard, you can actually go here and watch the particular show. And it should start here in a minute. I don't know whether Bob will have the audio on here or not, but <clears throat> it'll start out. It'll go to black, and then it'll play. And... Um, it will play in a minute, and there you go. You can watch the show right here, okay, which I think is slicker than whatever, okay, meaning you can even have your friends say, hey, listen, if you're interested in taking a class at Sacramento City College and you want to see what the thing goes, just go to the Distance Ed webpage, and uh, you can see the, uh, see the show without a problem. So we're doing that with the other classes, which I think is really cool. You'll see this guy come up. He look, he'll look sort of familiar in a minute here. Hi everybody. My name is Pat Hubbard, and welcome back to California Okay, so I think that that's finance, really cool. Again, another thing finance. I wanted to point out to this you is that it's a certain size here. If you want to make it a larger uh, size, series, you can just stop this, and then you can launch it in its own external window. And then how it opens up is going to depend upon the last time you used the media player. But what's kind of nice about this is that you can make it, size it, and shape it once it starts. Uh, to any size that you basically want to, and you'll see that in a minute, too. And it should start. Usually it'll go to the pause button, and there you go, it's bigger. Now, you can raise it to a certain size. If you raise it full screen, it gets pixelated because we've made it so that it's a smaller file that you can see on the Internet. So, again, to watch the shows at your convenience, anywhere uh, at your friend's house, home, work, as long as you have a high-speed connection. If you come here to campus to do it, what you're going to want to do is probably bring a headset with you. Okay, which are fairly inexpensive. They usually, if you buy cheap ones, they're usually five, ten dollars, and you can listen to them. Hi, everybody. Okay. My name is Pat Hogarty. So anyway, there it is. There. Okay. So if you miss a show, no excuse. There it is. You can make it up, no problem. Okay. Anyway, I'm going to close out of here, and we're going to bring up this. What we're going to be talking about today on the uh, my old friendly plasma screen here. What we're going to discuss today is something called. I think it's called Real Estate Cycles in the Secondary Market. And the purpose of us talking about real estate cycles is to try to get some kind of a comprehension or understanding on the fact that the value of real estate goes up and down on a fairly regular basis. In other words, the demand for housing, the prices may go up and the prices may go down. A lot of people may be wanting to buy houses for, you know, right now. A couple years from now, they may not want to be buying houses. So what we want to do is both, uh, both as a real estate professional, especially not only as a real estate agent but as a, as a finance person, is to understand what in the world is going on in the market, why, what's affecting the market. And, you know, in a lot of cases, we read a lot of articles in the newspaper about what's going on in the market, and a lot of times what that really is, if you will, and you read the article, uh, you sit there and you really what's happening is the journalist is more or less confirming what you already know. Okay, You know, probably knew before the journalist wrote the article that, housing, that the housing market was slowing down. Now, how did you know that? You knew that because you drove around the neighborhood. And you looked at the neighborhood and you said, you know, last year, if there was a for sale sign out, it went up and there was a sold sign on it within maybe three, four, or five days. 
Now you drive through the same neighborhood or neighborhoods, and you take a look at it, and you find out the sign doesn't go up, and a sold sign show up a couple days later. The sign goes up, and there are a lot more houses for sale. Okay, so you know yourself personally, you have been going through a very hot market, and now you're kind of cooling down. So what you want to do is to have some kind of comprehension of what causes that to happen. And it's not always the same factors. It can be a lot of other factors. So you, we want to talk about what they happen to be. Um, so anyway, what I'm going to do is put this little thing up here that's in your book. It's called the cycle. There are different types of cycles. Um, Cycles meaning, you know, cycles are like anything else. It means things that kind of repeat themselves, okay? And what they're trying to do is they're breaking the cycle out. You know, the idea that the houses are going to go up in value, then they're going to go down in value, then they're going to go up in value, and they're going to go down in value. And what we're hoping is if we look at these cycles and we're in a fairly decent economy, in other words, we're in a place where we don't have something that's devastated that has happened, you know, such as in Detroit where the car industry all of a sudden dries up and fades away because they just can't financially afford to build cars there anymore, and you all of a sudden you have towns that just shudder themselves. But, I mean, if you're in a fairly stable economy, what ends up happening is housing prices will go up, they will come down, but the next time they go up, if hopefully everything is correct, what they'll do is they'll go up a little bit more than the last time they did. So I can remember, for example, <clears throat> looking at property that I owned, say a rental piece of property, and uh, maybe I went up there to work on a tenant's, ha on a tenant's house or something like that, and I would look and I would see the na a couple of doors down there would be a neighbor that had a, you know, a flyer outside with the house for sale. And, of course, I would sneak over there you know, and get the flyer and take a look at it and go, wow, look at the price of that. And I'd take it home and I'd show it to my wife. I can remember being very, very excited about a house that I had that the price was $120,000, the same house. Okay, I can remember then going a couple years later and be really excited to go home and tell my wife and say, you know, that thing is selling for 150, then 200, then 250. Now I think it sells for 430. Okay, so consequently, in between, there were a lot of times that it went back down. But housing tends to, in a fairly stable economy, tends to be, you know, in other words, where we have enough. We don't have one major industry that if they move out of town, it's devastated, where we have a lot, a good mix like we do here in Sacramento. It tends, to, it tends to go down, but it tends to go back up again. Okay? Characteristically, what's happening during this period of time, this is usually considered to be the peak of the market. Um, if you think back a couple years ago, uh, during this peak period of time, you saw that there were certain characteristics that happened. You opened up the newspaper. You read articles, for example, where people were standing in line to buy houses. There were lottery systems where people would put their name in a hat and hopefully be picked out. They were camping out on weekends, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, people were buying houses. You read articles about Mary Jones and Pete Jones that bought a house. You know, they moved from their little apartment to uh, a small three-bedroom, three two-bath, and they owned it for maybe six months or a year and sold it immediately and made fifty or $100,000. So you read a lot of articles like that. Uh, interest rates were fairly low. The economy was moving along. If you went out to construction sites, you saw a lot of construction going on. There was a lot of different skill sets being utilized. I mean, there were people, there were painters, electricians, carpenters, people selling sandwiches. It was just a pretty hot market during that period of time. Usually, characteristically, uh, some people during that particular market will actually kind of think about the, from an individual standpoint, they'll think about the fact, hey, you know what? We better hurry up and buy a house. 
because we don't know where, you know, we, if we can't buy it today, what's going to end up happening is we'll never be able to afford it tomorrow. And so consequently, usually near the peak of the market, you see people that will do things like get interest-only loans. They'll barely qualify for the property because guess what? Their friend or themselves a couple of years ago bought a house and made a lot of money in a short period of time. So they always have this sort of confidence that, you know what, listen, if I even goof up or make a mistake, what can happen is I could turn around and sell the house and make my money back anyway. Okay, so there's a lot of that stuff that goes on during that period of time. I get a little bit nervous. You, after you lived as long as I have, you start to get a little bit nervous around that time because you've also seen the downside of that. And you'd sit there and you'd listen to somebody say that, and you'd go, well, I don't know whether that makes quite a kind of sense because you're looking at a little few under indicators. You start reading the paper. You know, you start getting the feeling like things are getting so close to a fever pitch that, hey, this is not necessarily going to keep going. You know, I mean, something's going to happen, you know. And people start, then you start reading articles. Oh, usually during this period of time you read articles in the paper that the journalists in their infinite wisdom are trying to do something, sometimes I think to maybe even generate news. They're trying to break the bubble. They'll say something like, it's got to stop. You know, it's got to collapse. It's got to go away. People are going to lose money. And so you wonder what causes what, okay? Uh, but typically during that period of time, home prices are escalating. People have full employment. People have jobs. They have a lot of confidence that they're going to keep their job. And uh, the economy starts to actually get, the prices are inflating tremendously. I mean, we're usually bidding up the prices for food, clothing, houses, and everything else. During that period of time when that happens, the Federal Reserve, which we talked about the last time, you know, the Federal Reserve is sitting there who controls monetary policy and say, you know what, inflation's really bad. We need to start to do something. So they start, you start to hear the hints of them possibly raising the interest rates or changing the discount rate or doing something to try to cool the economy down. Okay, that's basically what they're trying to do now. The other thing you want to keep in mind with this economy, by the way, is that we are moving from, we have, you know, back in the hinterland, the caveman time and the, and the colonies time, whatever, we talked about a local economy. Okay, there were people that were born and died in an area and never moved any place. They never went outside their community. We are now dealing in a global economy, so there are other factors that maybe in the past we would say, oh, if this happens, the housing price is going to go up or down. Whereas now we have a global economy going on, which a lot of us have a difficult time predicting what in the world's going on. As an example, we've seen in the last number of years, five, ten years, we've seen countries come online like India that are now supplying all kinds of uh, technology and customer support for us. We now have our fuel prices are high, not because we are all only ones that are using fuel, but we have other countries that are doing economically well, such as India, China, uh, and those other countries that we've always thought as third world countries. I mean, uh, people nowadays in China are buying cars. Where do they get the gas from? They've got to buy gas to run the cars. So now we may find out that the cost of things are going up, not because of our consumption, but because of world consumption. Okay, so the, 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 game, the game rules possibly may change, and, it's, and only history will bear that out. But that's an if like What happens then, the next thing is, is then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, we start to have what we commonly refer to as a correction or a contraction of the market or the, or the economy. So we go from a peak and we start to go to a recession. Now, just so you know, especially if you're reading stuff, we've called this thing called a recession. We've given it a lot of different names. Uh, in 1929, the stock market crashed. We call that a depression. Okay? I almost feel George, if you've ever watched George Carlin, who's a comedian, and he talks about how 
we as a society are constantly going on changing the language that define terms to make it easier for us to take. So depression was something that was really sound terrible. I mean, we're in a depression. I mean, people are, and there was pictures that went with it. You know, people were standing in bread lines. People couldn't get work. Uh, you know, it was really bad. Houses went into foreclosure. I mean, it was a disaster, okay, mainly because the stock market was held up by, you know, by, uh, by uh, if you will, by stupidity, by us b people borrowing money to buy stock based and what they were borrowing the money on was stock that was going down in value. That's why the market crashed. But now we use words like depression. Not, we've gone from depression to words like recession, okay? Recession sounds a little bit better than depression does, okay? Because we, we think depression is like, oh, we're depressed, man. I, I can't get out of bed kind of a thing. Recession sounds a little bit better. Now we go and we talk about, we even try to make it a little bit easier to pal or a little bit more palatable. We talk about it like a market correction. The market is correcting. But associated with this time frame, though, certain things start to happen, and we're running through that right now. We're sort of running through that in the market right now. First thing that starts to happen is that the Federal Reserve has made some changes to, in order for us to combat inflation, so they have raised the interest rates. When they raise the interest rates, that has a direct reflection on how much it's going to cost us to borrow money to finance the purchase of our home. And because homes happen to be of a price that, you know, we're not walking around with the money in our back pocket, we have to borrow the money. So consequently, we may have been able to afford that $300,000 house at 4%, but at 6%, we can't afford it because we've got to do other things with our money, you know, like buy food and clothes, Okay. So you're going to start to see that inf probably interest rates are going down to combat inflation. You're probably going to start to see that uh, sectors of the economy, they're, they're experiencing unemployment, such as you're probably going to find out that in some cases electricians and carpenters and some of the other people are not necessarily you know, fully employed like they were before. They may be looking for other jobs. Um, so there's a number of different things that are happening during this period of time. The concept is, is that we're contracting the economy. You're going to find out, for example, right now, if you open the paper on Sunday and you look in the newspaper, you're going to find out builders have incentive programs. They are trying to move inventory that they have on the books. So, like, for example, when I bought my, built my house a couple years ago, I mean, I can remember so clearly the builder. They were so confident in selling houses that they just didn't want to bend on anything. I wanted them to do something, modify a cabinet, and they said, no, we will not do it. Okay. Now, their problem was is that they had had people trying to do some minor modifications that it ended up being a big, it ended up being every house started to be a, custom, a real big custom job in a home, and it was slowing things down. So they said, no, we're not going to do that anymore. I'm here to tell you now, you go to a builder and want something done, they're going to do it. Okay. Not only that, they're giving you incentives like su such things as maybe saying, listen, go to our design center. Here's $50,000, not real $50,000, but like $50,000 in some sort of incentive. And you can pick out or, or upgrade your granite countertops, your carpets, or whatever. Okay. Or we'll help buy your loan down. Or, oh, by the way, you may not realize this, but you can negotiate and say, you know what? The backyard doesn't come with a lawn. If you put a lawn in, I'll buy the house. They may scratch their head, may look a little bit crazy, but they, they will at least think about it. They may say no, but they'll think about it. So they're providing incentives. Why? Because they've got houses, inventory sitting on the market. They're paying short-term construction loans in order to build those houses or hold on to them. They need to pay them off, and they need to get them off the books. So they'll provide incentives. 
You're starting to see now where homeowners are doing things, a number of things that you're reading about. There's been articles in the paper like how to stage your home, how to get your home ready to sell, how to make it look better than the competition. You're hiring, you know, like I've done this, hire interior decorators. In fact, we have a show on this, hiring interior decorators to come in and help people figure out what's the best way to make the house look. So people are doing this. They're doing everything they can to sell it. Okay, And, you, of course, you're seeing more for sale signs on the on the marketplace than you saw in the past. And they're staying, on the, they're staying up there longer. Uh, little indicators are, for example, there'd be an article in the paper, I remember, where it said the, the guy that has the pickup truck that puts signs up for real estate sales has got to go out and buy more signposts. <laughs> he ran out of signposts, or he ran out of signs. So you see these little indicators. Okay, that's what's happening here. So the housing prices are going down. Conversely, what happens is you finally hit a trough, you hit the bottom. Now, usually when you hit the bottom, uh, that's kind of the area. That's why you never talk about getting out of the market. Anybody that says to me, I'm going to jump in the market when the market is high, you know, as a career or buying, and I'm going to get out when it goes down is silly because you have to understand that you can make money on the down or the upside of the market. In this particular case here, the question is, is recognizing when you've hit bottom. That's the problem. You know, are we at the bottom? You know, so how do you know where you're at the bottom? You're kind of just watching it on a daily basis, and you sort of develop that fourth or fifth sense, and probably you're pretty good at noticing indicators that are trying to indicate to you that you're at the bottom and the market's starting to change, and you just become astute at it. You know, you start reading articles about how they need to do something with getting better employment. Uh, you know, uh, we need to stimulate the economy. Uh, you may read articles about or start to see where people are moving to the community, their businesses moving to the community where there's going to need, be a need for more housing. You start to look at things like that, okay? And so usually if you can catch the market somewhere in here, and usually this is where you can get hopefully the best deal, okay? Now your interest rates may be higher, but you can usually get the best deal on price and terms, okay? And then usually what will happen is then the interest rates will come down, and then finally what will end up happening is once you hit the bottom, now you go back into an expansion again. And again, this is during the period of time when you come out of the trough and go into the expansion, where all of a sudden now you read about all these articles again in the paper. The journalists are out with their cameras and their movie cameras, and they're showing little Mr. and Mrs. Jones that don't know anything about real estate that bought a house, a three-bedroom, one-bath house for, you know, $300,000, and now they're selling it for four or $500,000, and they did it in a year, and they look like they're a genius. Okay, why? Because all of a sudden now there's a demand for housing. There's a lack of supply. Why was there a lack of supply? Because the builders stopped building. You know, eventually, especially if your economy as a whole is growing, your builders stopped building because they said, you know, I'm not going to build houses and put them on the market and pay those, pay those interest rates, if those people are not going to buy the houses, it's going to cost me too much money. So consequently, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hold off. Now, what you have to keep in mind, too, is that the real estate business as a whole, the construction of houses, cannot be turned on a dime. It takes a while to build houses or hotels or whatever. You know, you have to sometimes get building permits, usually during that period of time, uh, probably the county or the city planning department has cut their staff back either through, you know, either you know, most likely they just haven't hired new people. Now they start getting a demand for uh, applications for, to, build, to build houses, you know, in other words, building permits. They don't have the staff. It takes longer, so that makes things longer. 
all of a sudden all those people that used to operate the bulldozers and the hammers and the, and the nailers and the roofers, they're in another industry. So now you may have to hire new people, train new people, or do something. So there's a lag. You're finding out that they're having a difficult time hiring people. Uh, maybe you may read an article in the paper where some high schools trying to train some high school kids on how to be carpenters because if they can get, if they know how to operate a hammer, if they can swing their hand, they're going to make them money. You know, so you read articles about that. And consequently, then hopefully after a while, the builders start building houses, things come online, they've got the equipment, the materials, they're building the houses, and then, and then how long that peak lasts, how long it lasts, is really dependent upon a lot of other factors. Uh, the peak could be fairly short, or it could be, for example, where the economy as a whole is really sort of starting to expand, and there's going to be a greater demand for houses. People are going to be moving to the community, and it may last one year, two years, three years, four years, five years, but eventually it's going to go whoo, back down again. And usually it's when everybody is just crazy about it. And if you think about anything else that's happened in the economy, the dot-com bust, okay, it bust right, right, when the journalists were out there, I hate to be, keep eating up the journalists, showing some guy that was 19 years old that knew how to format a floppy disk and made a computer program and sold, sold whatever he did to some venture capitalists or some company for a gazillion dollars, and now he's got a mansion. And just when that's tight, the stuff starts happening, usually when they're reporting that, you're right at the point where it's going to go right back downhill again. Okay, so you, the only way you know when it's going to happen, I have no crystal ball, I don't know. It's just that you develop a, you know, a third, fourth, or fifth sense on how that happens. Very, very important. You want to make sure about seasonal trends. That's another thing they talk about here, too, is, is being aware of certain things that may affect this that are seasonal trends or variations. They talk in here, but yet we all know about this, is that we can go out, for example, during Christmas, we know that the majority of retail sales happens usually at the end of Thanksgiving over the Christmas season, through Christmas, and then usually after Christmas, we find out that Santa Claus brought some wrong presents that we have to take back. And he gave us a ticket and said, take them back to the local mall. And we find that we're returning a lot of presents. And then usually in February, March, April, the, the malls are dead because there's not much. Uh, that's usually when we go to the mall and we start to see where they have the art show, the indoor car show, they do something to get us back in the mall again. Okay, so we have seasonal adjustments that we have to be concerned for. So don't be fooled by that. Is it seasonal or is it permanent? We have to be able to figure that out. Okay. Now, the next chart that they show in here that I think is sort of interesting, and some people get this right away and some people do not necessarily get this right away, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. They talk about something called balance, balance or they talk about supply and demand. Now, we hear about this all the time, okay? We hear about supply and demand, supply and demand. Let me say, let me see if I can explain this in relation to the chart, okay? I'm going to take one little step at a time. You're go the other thing, too, is that this chart is, is really, keep in mind from an economic standpoint, what you're doing is you're using some tools to try to make a complex topic easy to understand, Okay, in other words, why things change and shift can sometimes be very difficult to figure out. There are a lot of people that make a lot more money than I do and a lot better educated than I am that hit the market wrong on a regular basis. Okay, they tell you one thing. In fact, I used to love uh, the Wall Street. Uh, there used to be a show that lasted for years and years and years on Channel 6 PBS called Wall Street Week with Louis Rukeyser. 
And uh, he used to have a panel of people that would come in and predict what was going to happen to the economy in the next year. And these were people that were very knowledgeable. They were stockbrokers, economists, whatever, you know. And so they would sit there and they would say, I think General Motors is going to go up. I think AT&T is going to go down. I think IBM is going to go this way. Whatever. They'd predict. And they'd, have all, and they'd always have sleeper companies. This company is going to do real well because we're going to get bigger masses and we need better mousetraps. So they would come up with something. But what would happen is at the end of the year, they'd have another show. And they'd say, this is what happened. You said this. Now, let me play what you said here, expert. And now let me play what actually happened. <laughs> no, it was always interesting. They would be sometimes on the mark and sometimes off the mark, you know. But anyway, this, this curve has been something around for a long time, has been something for a long time. The concept is, is we have two axes to start with. We have this axis that goes vertically is called the y-axis. This axis that goes horizontally is called the x-axis, y and x. It's just a graph. Zero is right down here. Right down the bottom is zero, meaning that you have no money and no product. Okay. As you go up the y-axis, you're talking about more and more money. Okay. So in other words, here might be $5, $10, $15, 20 $30. As you go across this way, it's units. So we might be talking about 10 houses, 20 houses, 30 houses, 40 houses, 50 houses, or whatever. Okay. Now, there's two lines that are here. There's a supply or an S line and a D line. S means supply. Okay. Now, let's just talk basically about the supply. What supply means is how many units, whatever those units happen to be, would somebody be willing to produce, manufacture, based on that price. So, for example, if we talk about something that's very, very simple, it could be like, um, it could be cars, it could be motorcycles, it could be ice cream, it could be anything. The concept is the more money or the higher, the more, the, 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 in other words, what this is saying is that a supplier, supplier means somebody like General Motors, IBM, H.C. Elliott Homes, uh, Carvel ice cream stand, Dunkin' Donuts, okay, suppliers. They are willing to make or manufacture more products as the price goes up. So if they know that they can make more money, they will produce more products. So that's why a builder will build more houses if they believe that they can sell them for more money. General Motors will build more cars if they think they can sell more cars. In fact, General Motors is going through a contraction right now. They thought that a lot of people were going to buy something called the Hummer, and they made a lot of Hummers. Okay, uh, We found that a lot of companies were making SUVs because they were, you know, the gas prices were low. A lot of us, for whatever reason, went off our rocker and started buying these gas-guzzling cars left and right, and so they just said, okay, well, if they're going to buy them, we're going to make them. Okay? So this is supply. On the other hand, this is demand. So if you, first of all, if you take a look at supply, the concept is, you know, you know, at right here, for no money at all, they won't supply anything. Over here, they'll make this many units if the price is here. So let's say this was the price was $10. They would make this many units. If the price was $20, they would go over and make that many. You get that? Okay. Hit the button. Hit the button. Hit the button if you have a question. Let me do this one more time. Okay, let's start right here. This is dollars, okay? So this would be like $10 here. This would be 20 30 Just visualize that as money, okay? 
Over here is quantity. What it means is that at this price, say it was $10, a supplier would be able to supply or manufacture that many units. If the price was raised for up to here, from here to here, they would supply that many units. So all that means is the higher the price, the more the supplier is willing to manufacture. Hopefully that makes sense. Just think about it yourself. To understand these concepts, don't make it simple. You know, Put yourself in the mind that you're making something at home. You're making, I don't know, little decorative dog houses or you know, bird cages or something. And you say, you know what? If I'm making bird cages <laughs> and I'm going to sell them at a garage sale and uh, and I find out that uh, you know that I can make them make a profit if I sell them for ten dollars. I'm going to make three of them. If all of a sudden there's going to be these people that are willing to buy, pay more for the bird cages, twenty dollars, I'm going to, I'm going to make more because guess what? The more I sell, the more money I make. That's your incentive. Okay. Builders do the same thing. If they think there's going to be a high demand for houses and they're going to be able to sell them, they just make more houses. That's why when the economy is going well, we see a lot of pe a lot of houses being built. Because people, the builder says, listen, my problem is production. As quick as I can build them, boom, 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 they're going. I mean, during the, hard, the, 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 the crazy times, you know, during the top of that cycle, people would buy houses, in, in a lot of cases, not even knowing that maybe would have to wait five or six months or even a year before the house would be done. When I bought my house, I went into contract in, uh, I think, November, didn't physically move into the house until somewhere in August, Okay. So, in other words, there was, you know, builders had during that period of time just, I got to get it produced. I got to, I don't have enough people. I got to get hammers moving. I got to build houses. Okay. So, supply. They know as soon as they build it, it's gone. It's sold. Okay. Conversely, this is the demand curve. This is you. Okay. Now, this makes to me total common sense. This says as the price of a product goes down, you will buy more of them. Okay, now put yourself in a simple thing. Let's say you're going to the grocery store. And let's say that, uh, I don't know, say they have some kind of a product there that you like on a, on a regular basis that you know you can consume. This is where sales come in. Let's say that you buy bottles of lemonade. I personally like lemonade. I don't know why I like lemonade. I like lemonade. So I buy it ahead of time. If I go to the store, and oh, by the way, just for, as a sidelight, do you know those little itty-bitty bottles of lemonade? You can buy the great big bottles of lemonade like for 10 cents more, okay? I don't know why, but that's true. But let's say I go to the store, and maybe I've been paying $2 a bottle for lemonade, okay? Then all of a sudden they have a sale on, and they say $1 a bottle or 50 cents a bottle. You know what's going to happen? Old Pat's going to leave that store when that price is lowered. I'm going to have a basket full of lemonade, okay? I'm going <laughs> to, you know what I mean? So in other words, as the prices go down, I'm going to consume more, Okay? If, I, if the prices of houses are going down, okay, I will buy more houses. You know, I may buy my, the house I live in, plus I may buy someplace else to live. If the price of vehicles are going down, cars, I may buy, you know, maybe when I first got married, I had to have a car for myself and for my wife. You know, well, wait a minute. If the car, prices of cars go down, I may buy a third car just as a third car to go, you know, to back up the other two because the prices have gone down. So the concept of this curve is that as prices go down, I will buy more. As prices go up, I will buy less. Okay? So, for example, at this price right here, if this is $10, it means that I will buy this quantity. 
Okay. If the price goes up, I will go from here to the demand line and I will buy less. That's what that means. Okay. I'll be quiet there for a minute and then I'll shut up. Okay. Now the the concern that you would have as an economist or from a consumer standpoint is that what you want to do the ideal notice I said ideal I didn't say that it you know this may happen like for maybe a nanosecond but the ideal situation is that the supplier will build or manufacture enough product to meet whatever the consumer demand happens to be okay remember when builders have to sit around and have a lot of inventory that costs the money so the ideal situation is, is that the builders may do what? Maybe instead of building and having six or eight months worth of inventory sitting around, they want to be able to build a house, and the minute they get it done, the minute it, they put the last nail in and it's signed off by the county, they want to be able to turn around and sell that. That's the ideal situation for them. Okay. So what we're really trying to do through the economy is we're trying to hit an equi equilibrium point. That's where the two of these cross. That means where the suppliers will build enough product that consumers will buy and so that you will not have excess demand, okay, which will cause inflation or excess supply, which will cause cost money for the, for the people out of manufacturing it. That's what this curve means, okay? And I'm going to stop there. We're looking for a balance between the two of them, okay? The next thing that the chapter talks about is why... What affects, let me see, if it says factors, I don't know if you can see this, but factors influencing real estate cycles. I think the gist that I would like to get out of this myself personally is I want to have a recognition of what kinds of things would happen in the economy that possibly would have an effect on the value of property, the value of property and consequently the value or the cost of buying and holding to property. Okay, and saying what factors affect that, what things go on that can possibly affect that to happen. The first thing that we always talk about, always, because this is the most easily understood and quickest, is mortgage funds, mortgage money. and re In other words, the availability of mortgages. What we're talking about here is if you go to the bank, and the bank says to you, hey, I got a great deal. I got a 30-year loan for 5% interest, you know, 30-year payments, fixed rate. I mean, they're going to sell a lot of those things, okay? So consequently, if they are able to, you know, if a lot of people will demand that loan, consequently, a lot of people are going to have a lot of money in their pocket to be able to go ahead and buy houses. If the interest rates go up, there is going to be less money available for us to be able to buy something. Not that there will be less money, but it's the fact that we can't afford it. You know, if you really think about it, again, you have to think simplistically about this. If you took, turned around and looked at a house and said, at $300,000 at 4% interest, I can afford that house. I can afford it. When I mean afford, I mean this. I mean, I can take, I make enough money to be able to feed my family, drive to work, pay the doctor bills and everything else, and make that house payment if it's $300,000 at 4% interest. I can do that. Okay, I can physically do that. But if you raise that interest rate to 5% or 6%, now I've got to give something up. I can't afford to buy all the food I was buying for my family. I can't afford to buy a new car. I'm going to have to defer getting the maintenance done on something because guess what? I've got to feed my family first and I have no other money left. So consequently, what ends up happening is that that 5% or 6% rate 
there are people that can no longer afford to buy that house. So what happens is, is you now start losing customers because they can't afford to buy. So that's what affects the value of the house. Now, what happens is it takes a while for the homeowners to recognize that because, you know, they've been sitting there during a period of time and thinking, hey, you know, if I buy a piece of real estate today, next year I'm going to make money on it. Now, all of a sudden, the brakes get slammed on and it's not going up in value. So consequently, what happens is they sit there for a while and they'll list their house for what they thought the house should sell for. And they'll sit on it. And they'll ha it's very painful for them to turn around and lower their price, but it's not until they lower the price to the point that that person that could normally have afforded it at 4% and $300,000 can now afford the payment at 5%. So that means that the owner of the house has to drop that price maybe down from two three hundred thousand dollars to two hundred and fifty. That's what has to happen. Okay. Then all of a sudden there are more people that can come into the market and be able to afford it. That's what makes the prices of houses go down. And also too because people have to sell. They have to sell. I mean, there are people that have to move or getting sick or dying or something else has happened. They've got to get rid of the house, so they need to sell it. So they're faced with that choice, and they got to set, they got to lower their price. But that's going to take consumers, homeowners, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten months, a year, whatever, and it's going to take bankers longer. Right now you read there was an article in the Sacramento Bee past weekend about short sales. Short sales have to do with the fact that the lender is owed more money on the house okay, than the house is worth. And what's ending up happening is, is that, you, that there are real estate agents that are trying to help consumers to negotiate with the bank to take a lower payoff because the value of the house is not there anymore. And the bank is going to be basically faced with the fact that if the, if the house goes into foreclosure, what's going to end up happening is, is that they're going to have to hire some people to take care of the house. You know, They're going to have to. So it's, that's what's basically happening now. So mortgage funds are very, very important. That's one factor that affects the value of the economy or real estate, if you will. Okay. And uh, I'm going to go through here. Okay. Next thing in a broad brush stroke is population. Population is something that we basically look at and we read about from an intellectual standpoint and say, yes, that makes sense, but we never necessarily catch on as normal consumers to what's going on. Um, for example, people that are my age, which are commonly referred to as the baby boomers that are in their 50s, there's certain things that are happening. You know, you can go out and find out how many people roughly that are in my age bracket. You know, that were born in the late 40s and the early 50s that are now what? There are certain characteristics that we have. A lot of us are retired, are, are going to be retiring. So there are certain things that that means. That means that uh, when we retire, first of all, we're going to have a reduced income. That's one thing, okay? Second thing that's going to happen is we're going to have more time, okay? Third is that in order for us to handle that reduced income, we may be looking for a smaller house, so we may want to sell the house that we live in and go to a smaller house, so there may be more demand for things like townhouses, condominiums. Uh, there was a recent TV show talking about something called microhouses, actually having houses that are down to the size of roughly about seven or 800 square feet for, say, an individual, a single individual. You know, say, listen, if you want to have a place to live, and it's your house. And we do that a lot with condominiums. There are a lot of condominiums and apartments around here I could take you to that are three, four, not four, probably four to 700 square feet that people live in, studio apartments or whatever. They're quite happy. They just say, I'm not going to put all my money in a place where I live. I got other things I want to do. But the fact is, is that 
just my age group getting older is going to have a major effect on on the economy and on the demand for housing. Also, too, it's our age group because we came out, our fathers were like, for example, World War II veterans in that age group, and they sort of learned they had come out of the Depression years. So, I mean, if you look at back historically starting in the 50s, there were a lot of people saying, listen, you know, I've been, my dad was through the Depression years. They lost a lot of stuff. I want to work for companies that have job stability. A lot of people were coming out of the military and being well-trained. There was a whole shift in our society during that period of time. And consequently, what ended up happening, a lot of us went to work for companies, and we went there and worked for them because we had great benefits. So we happen to be the kind that we, when we retire, say we look at a chart and say we spend so many years and we get a specific amount of money. That's called a defined benefit. We also happen to enjoy or hopefully enjoy for the next, when we're eligible, Social Security. Now, conversely, the next generation that's coming along right now does not have those opportunities, does not have that retirement. Now those people, it's questionable whether Social Security is going to be there. And the second thing is you are not in a defined benefit plan. You are in a defined contribution plan. So the responsibility for your retirement has shifted from the company to you. So consequently, you may, if you do not invest carefully, and watch what you're doing, you may end up in the future where you retire and have nothing. Okay? Different situation. Okay? So things change based on age group. Population also has an effect, too, on, for example, in the Sacramento area where we have companies that move in. We have companies like Intel. Uh, uh, I think HP has just about moved in and moved out. Apple moved in and moved out. But we do have, like, for example, in, in our economy here, Sacramento, one of the largest employers is insurance companies. They're very, very stable. They provide a lot of jobs to people. Uh, when those people work and those large companies come in, they, uh, they create jobs for the people that work for the company. But if you go around the company, you'll see, like, for example, out by Intel, okay, in Folsom, you see, oh, wait a minute, there's a sandwich shop and all their customers are from Intel. And the gas station gets all its business from Intel. Consequently, what ends up happening for every employee you hire at Intel, you maybe create for actually the multiplier they usually talk about is four or five jobs. So population coming into an area tends to make the area more stable or growth. And also we look at the kinds of businesses they happen to be. Uh, that's why when we talk about Intel that are selling their products throughout the world, hopefully because their risk is diversified over the economies of the world, hopefully it's more stable. And if you watch Intel, they, the minute they think something's going to hiccup, they pull back. They really try to manage their, their resources as best they possibly can. Um, uh, what ends up, um, you know, in, in, in our economy here, we had, uh, like we have the state government, that provides a lot of stability, okay? Uh, we have the county, okay? We have, again, those insurance companies. You go up here, we have Blue Shield, Blue, Blue Shield that has, like, not the people that sell it, but the people that are providing claims adjustments from people all over the world, or, you know, all over the country. That's a very, very stable, you know, workforce of economy that helps our, our area. If you contrast that with an area of the country where, for example, I can remember years ago and being in Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. Not that I lived there. I used to have to go back there for business. And when I first went back there in the 80s, I, you would drive down the street and see all these houses boarded up and businesses boarded up. And the reason why was because of oil. What happened was is the price of oil had gone down dur during that period of time. had gone, And it does things to cycle, had gone down. 
So consequently, all those oil wells that cost a lot of money to get the oil out of the ground where they had to inject steam or something like that were not economical, so they they, they capped them and they walked away from them, and they, that had a dramatic effect on the businesses, and the houses went into foreclosure. It was, a, you know, a bad effect on the economy. Same thing when you were talking about places like Detroit. Right now you're talking about co companies like Ford, General Motors, Chrysler, that are having competition from places like, uh, you know, like Nissan Motors, Toyota, Honda. Those are all companies that are competing with them, and they're having a hard time right now because they're trying to turn on a dime to go from the large cars to the smaller cars because of the gas crisis. That has an effect on the employment base in that economy and the effect on the, on the, uh, on the real estate values of, the, uh, of that area because in that area you have Ford, but you have a lot of companies that make products for Ford. You know, Ford doesn't make their own bumpers. You know, they, they sub all that work out there. Actually, the key word is they're an assembly line or assembly plant. They put it together, but those parts are made by a lot of different companies. So when they go down, so goes the rest of the economy. So population is very, very critical. So if you had, that's why when we had major closures here of like McClellan Air Force Base, Sacramento Army Depot, Mather Air Force Base, why people were really, really scared. Who's going to buy the house? Who's going to take care of it? Okay, that's why. So that's one of the things. Um, they also talk about um, uh, social factors, okay, social factors that have an effect on, um, on the economy. Um, and they talk here about baby boomers, uh, social factors and social attitudes. They talk about baby boomers. I think we've already talked about that, demand for housing. One of the things that's interesting is that if you look in uh, ads in the paper on Sunday, you'll also see ads for things such as Lincoln Hills, uh, Sunset, um, I'll think of it, Sun City, Lincoln Hills, Sun City, Roseville. Those are housing areas that are specifically built for people that are 55 years of age or older to live there. Okay? So that's, that's and if you go up there, they're really nice places, you know, where people live. Uh, in fact, what's interesting is I had a student in my class, and, I, I, and she, is, she told me she's 52 years old. doesn't look 52, but she said she's 52. And she said she owns a house in Lincoln Hills, uh, Lincoln, Lincoln, uh, let me say, Sun City, Lincoln Hills. She owns it, and she's renting it out, but she cannot live in it because she's not 55 years of age. Okay? Because what's ended up happening, those places want everybody to be 55 or older because they say, I don't want kids. You know, I mean, which I don't quite understand why they don't want kids around, but that's okay. You know, they want to play golf and uh, and uh, sit in the bar and drink or whatever they do. You know, and you know, to me, having the kids around keep you young, keep you keep you going all the time. Anyway, social attitudes. Another thing is political activity. Political activity has another effect. We're going through that right now in our particular economy. All of the times that every time we turn around and we say. We, the United States government, United States of America government, are going to send X amount of dollars to this country, pay for this, pay for that, pay for a war, whatever it happens to be. The thing you have to keep in mind when that happens, you say, hmm, wait a minute. How does the federal government make money? They collect taxes. Who do they collect taxes from? Me <laughs> or, or companies. Okay. So consequently, what's going to end up happening is, is that if they're not raising the taxes – and there's always a big argument about this, then what they're having to do is they're having to borrow the money. I mean, it stands to reason. You know, it's kind of like saying, well, I have two ways that I can pay for my food. I can either go out and get a job or i got to borrow the money. Okay, the government's the same way. They either got to go out and raise the taxes to pay for it 
or they have to turn around and borrow the money. When they borrow the money, they, what they do is they say, they go and they say, listen, uh, we're going to sell bonds and T-bills on the open market. People are going to buy those things uh, called investors, pension plans, profit-sharing plans, whatever. They're going to buy them and remit the money back to the government. So now the government has money that it can build the streets, curbs, or not streets, curbs, but can build everything from prisons to... Um, you know, to major highways, to fund the war, whatever it happens to be. So politically, what's going on in the economy has a dramatic effect on what's going to be happening to the housing area. Because what ends up happening is this, is that when the federal government, there's only a pot of money that's so big. When the federal government says, I want to borrow money, they're putting, they're guaranteeing they're a good customer, they get a good interest rate, okay, and what ends up happening is that that's money when they borrow that is being taken out of that pot that is not available to do other things. Okay? You have to remember we're competing for money all the time. So how politically we're operating is very, very important, has a dramatic effect on the economy. Politically, for example, another example would be uh, maybe uh, politically, uh, say, for example, the Democratic Party may turn around and say, who's usually more of a liberal party, they turn around and say, you know what, we need to provide housing for low-income people or for people that are over 65 or something like that. And in order to get builders to build that, we're going to pass some legislation that is going to turn around and provide incentives for those builders in the form of tax incentives to build that housing. That's a political decision, okay, that has a direct effect on what we're going to do. So politics is a major factor, major, major, major factor on how how things are affected in the economy and watching what's going on. And certain things get, I want to, sneaked in. Uh, there was an article in the paper this past weekend in which in El Dorado County, uh, I, yeah, in El Dorado County, I believe, and I'll always have these figures whacked up, but anyway, I think it was in the Sacramento Bee, that said that the El Dorado County is going to raise a fee, and I think it was thirty-five dollars or $37,000 for each brand-new house that's being built. That means you, consumers, are going to pay for that to provide money so that they can raise money for transportation, to pay for transportation projects. Okay. Now, why do they do that? They do that because normally they would be getting their funding from taxes, and they're not getting the money in the area from taxes, so what they do is they have these fees and developers and builders. That's a political type of a thing. That allows them to get away with it, at least. Okay. Um, another thing that is going to affect stuff is stuff called regulation. Okay. Regulation has a major, major impact on, um, on um, how real estate works. Um, you know, uh, regulations can be in the form of, I think it may even talk about in here, it talks about a number of things. Uh, it talks about uh, how much how much interest rate we can charge. In other words, whether it gets usurious or not, it goes beyond the normal. Okay, where we set things, regulations say stop that. Or regulations have to do with how we treat people in the housing area. You know, that we can't go to an area that's a poor area and say we're going to charge you more money because you're poor or because you're a low, higher uh, loan risk. Okay, we have regulations that prevent that from happening, and those are both federal and state regulations. Uh, how we do loan practices, okay? Um, impact fees they were talking about, um, you know, is another thing. Impact fees just basically mean money that's being raised as a result of building whatever the new thing is. There's a new need for, for example, a firehouse. 
because you built a subdivision with 500 new houses, so consequently there's some kind of, be some kind of fee that's going to be paid. So there's a lot of regulations that are going to affect the value of the property, zoning regulations, uh, on and on and on, different types of regulations that are going to do that. Okay, so keep that in mind. You know, your house may go up in value or may, may cost you more to build, has nothing to do with the interest rate, has nothing to do with the cost of lumber, has nothing to do with the gas price of gas. It has to do with some fee that they charge you. Okay, so it'll go up. It'll go up with that. What I want to do is we're getting fairly close to the end now. I'm going to mention what we're going to be talking about the next time, which is going to be something called the secondary market. We'll be picking up talking about that. And this is a very, very important part of real estate finance. Now, you may say, well, wait a minute. I thought real estate finance was no more than you went down to the bank and got a loan. You know, you signed some paperwork and they gave you some money. Well, you as a real estate professional, and that's what we're looking at you as a professional in the industry, have to be aware of all these factors. Uh, when we go to a real estate meetings on Tuesday, which is when we they have the Sacramento Association of Realtors meetings, one of the things that will happen is somebody from the finance committee, I think I've maybe even mentioned this before, who's uh, a member of the association will stand up and talk about what the Federal Reserve is doing, what the, what's going on with the interest rates, what they think is going to happen with the cost of money. Uh, they'll talk about different kinds of loan programs. They'll talk about, you know, whether FHA, what FHA is doing, what VA is doing, okay. what CalVets doing. So they'll talk about all those different things to keep everybody informed because, you know, those, those people that deal in money on a regular basis are trying to become aware of all those programs. And there are t so many programs that, I mean, you need, you need to be, you need to database to keep track of them. You know, it depends upon whether somebody's a low income or whether they're a veteran or a non-veteran or there's just lots and lots of programs, and those people are focusing their attention on trying to keep up to speed with what's going on. But we'll be talking about the secondary market, and what's important about the secondary market is where do we sell those mortgages when we create them? In other words, if we're a bank taking money in and we keep lending it out, eventually we're going to run out of money. So where in the world do we get the money to lend? What do we do with those mortgages when we create them? So anyway, I want to thank you very much for coming, and the next time we'll pick up and we'll be talking about the secondary market. See you the next time. Bye-bye.